and beginning at verse 18. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Uh, The message of Jesus, uh, the message of Christianity, is a message that is uh, meant to shape all of life. This is what Paul has been trying to accent and to explain throughout this letter uh, to the church in Colossae, uh, that what we believe is meant to, to change and to shape and to inform and to transform the way that we live our lives. But it all flows out from a, an understanding of God and his work in and through Jesus Christ. But here in Colossians 3, he's been emphasizing that it involves putting off certain characteristics and putting on other characteristics, that we are to put to death uh, the, the deeds of the body and to put on uh, the virtues, the likeness of the Lord Jesus. But you remember last time uh, we turned to, to verse 18 and we said we're turning to uh, a more specific uh, section of how the gospel changes the way that we live our lives. And we describe this section as the household code uh, because it's all relating to how the gospel is lived out in our day-to-day lives in the home. And so Paul talked about in verses 18 and 19 uh, the relationship uh, between wives and husbands. Uh, And this morning we want to look at uh, the relationship between children and fathers. Uh, One thing that we mentioned about uh, this household uh, instructions is is that while there are many many thinkers and writers down through history who've talked about these different spheres of relationships, how is it that fathers and children should relate, or how is it that husbands and wives should relate? Uh, They've been doing this since antiquity. Uh, But what is distinct here is, is that Paul is addressing these things from a distinctly Christian lens, uh, that Paul is taking the gospel and now uh, shedding light on how it shapes uh, these various relationships. And so while the spheres are recognized by all, uh, they take on a very distinctive uh, Christian understanding. And one way that you see that is is that uh, half of the occurrences of that term Lord Uh, speaking about Jesus, are found in these few verses about the life in the household. Everything is to be done uh, under the lordship of Jesus. And so wives and husbands are to relate to one another in a way that recognizes the lordship of Christ. The order of the home is then governed uh, by the will and the character of Christ. And so this morning uh, we are uh, wanting to look at verses Uh, 20 and 21 and we want to see that those who belong to the Lord are to relate to one another in their families in a way that pleases uh, their Lord and we want to think about uh, the responsibility of children and then secondly we want to think about the responsibility of fathers first uh, there is the responsibility of children it says there in verse 20 children obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. The word there for children is much like our English word, children. Uh, children can be used to refer to any age group. Uh, it can stretch from infancy even to adulthood. 
but when we come to think about what Paul is saying here, uh, it's clear that Paul is referring here to children uh, under the care of their parents. And we can see that for a couple of reasons. Uh, when uh, we think about the whole context, uh, Paul is writing here about how the gospel shapes life in the home, how the gospel shapes our day-to-day -day living with those with whom we live with. Uh, and so when we realize the context, that narrows our focus as to what he means by children. Uh, he's referring to children who are living in the home and under the care of their parents. But the other way that we can see that Paul is referring to young children here is because when you look at the parallel, uh, when Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, he also gives instruction to parents. But in that passage, he tells parents uh, to bring up their children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. And when he says that, uh, he's, he's highlighting the role of parents, especially in the nurturing and the development of their children. Uh, that parents have a unique calling in that they are the primary caregivers of their children. They are entrusted with the responsibility of nurturing them and helping them reach maturity. But as that stage uh, arrives, there will come a point uh, when their children do reach maturity and that relationship will transition. Uh, the framework will no longer be one of obedience, but it'll be shifting towards one that is specifically on honoring. Uh, and so here, as Paul is writing these words, as he speaks about children, obey your parents, he is thinking specifically of children that are in the home and under the care and the authority of their parents. But it's significant that Paul does this because when he says children, obey your parents, it's telling us something about the, the high position of children. When Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, he writes to the, the, to the holy ones, to the saints, to the faithful brothers in Christ Jesus. He's writing to the covenant community of uh, Christ's people. And yet, Paul expects children to listen to this letter. He expects children to be present when the letter is read. He expects children to be present when the letter is explained. He expects children to be uh, recipients to the teaching of God's word. And the reason is, is because of the, the place that children have. They are part of that covenant community. They are, as it says elsewhere in scripture, they are holy. They are set apart unto the Lord. And so they are to live under the Lordship of Christ. They are to live acknowledging uh, the Lord in their life. And so it's very significant that when Paul writes this, uh, he doesn't simply address parents, but he also addresses children directly. And that is informative to us because serving the Lord is not something that just belongs to those who are adults. Uh, it's not as though uh, the Bible is only important once you become 12, uh, or the Bible is only important when you become 17. Uh, the Bible is relevant for us at all ages of life. Uh, Ecclesiastes tells us to remember your creator in the days of your youth before the evil days come when you take no pleasure in them. From the days of our youth, from our youngest days, we are to be remembering our God and acknowledging his will and his lordship over us. And so here, uh, we are uh, faced with the fact that God's word addresses us. 
at every stage of life. And even from our youngest days, God's word is for you. And so no matter how old you are this morning, you are called to respond to God's word, to put your trust in the Lord Jesus, to repent of your sins, and to honor the Lord in your life. Now we might sit here, we might think, well, uh, I'm just... I'm just a kid, how can I honor God? Uh, isn't that something that is only for the, uh, the older people to do? Paul says that you can honor the Lord as a child. How do we honor the Lord even as children? It begins in the home. It begins with recognizing God's order and how God has placed you under parents, how God has uh, provided uh, you with care, and you are to live acknowledging his authority and his provision in your life. And so all of this uh, highlights the fact that we can honor the Lord uh, in our callings, even as children. But the appeal here is children obey your parents in everything. Uh, God has given us parents to provide for and to care for us. And we should be uh, grateful then uh, for parents who are invested in our well-being. Uh, because as the writer of Proverbs highlights, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. Left to our own selves, we'll make all kinds of foolish decisions. Uh, we'll make uh, reckless decisions. We, we, we don't see the consequences uh, we don't understand the full picture. We're vulnerable to being tricked or deceived. And so parents are our protectors. They're, they're preventing us from making uh, choices that will have consequences we didn't expect. They're protecting us from uh, being tricked. Uh, they're helping us make sense of God's world. And so we should be grateful uh, for that. But Paul here has to say uh, these things because wrapped up in our hearts, is a, an inward desire that doesn't want to acknowledge authority. Even when we are cared for, even when we are fed and clothed, uh, even when people invest in our lives, we can still be people who push back and saying, I don't want to be told how to live. Uh, if, if your mom tells you that it's time to get ready for bed, uh, you young people, you may, you may inwardly not want to. Uh, you may you may ignore, you may delay, you may want to keep reading your book or you may want to keep playing that game and, and so you push off the directions that your parents are giving you. Or perhaps your father tells you that it's time to do some chores, it's time to put your clothes away, it, it's time to, uh, to, to tidy up the room, uh, but you don't want to do that. And so in that moment, you are choosing whether or not you acknowledge the authority that God has placed over you or whether you're going to live based on what you want to do. In other words, the way that you respond to your parents is it's revealing something about your heart. It's revealing something about your attitude. Do you live simply to do what you want? Or do you want wisdom that is going to guide you in a way that is right? So what does it mean to obey? It means to do what you are told right away, all the way, and with a happy heart or with a happy way. Uh, that's what uh, we are called to as we are being instructed in the way that is good. But think back to what Proverbs said there. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of, uh, of individuals by nature. Uh, left to ourselves, we'll make 
we'll make all kinds of bad choices. Maybe just think of uh, if you've ever gone bowling. Uh, bowling, you, you're rolling that ball down the, the lane and you're trying to hit those pins at the far end. But sometimes when you see, or maybe when you go uh, bowling yourself, it, it, you, you roll the ball down and it doesn't take very long before the ball goes in the gutter. And it's no fun to go bowling and just to see the ball go in the gutter uh, almost immediately. Uh, and to do that over and over again. And that's why bowling alleys uh, now put up these guardrails. Those guardrails are to prevent uh, the ball going in the gutter immediately. And it makes it more fun to play the game when sometimes even if you hit the guardrail, it actually deflects back to the center and, and it'll hit the pins at the far end. And it makes the game a lot more enjoyable, especially for young players who are learning how to bowl. Those guardrails are protectors. They, they prevent uh, a gutter ball. But that's what parents are as well. Parents are like shields. They're like guardians that are preventing us from making foolish choices, uh, from going down a path that Proverbs says leads ultimately to disgrace. And so all of this is bound up in the importance of children obeying uh, their parents. So when your parents, when your mom or your dad tells you to do something, the way that we respond is saying something about us. It's telling us about our own heart. And the Bible does tell us that our heart doesn't want to be told. We want to go our own way. But that ultimately will lead us uh, in a path of foolishness. So here, as Paul is writing, he's addressing children and he's telling them uh, that God has given them parents to provide for them, to protect them, to lead them in the paths of righteousness, and they are to be obedient to their parents. But as you think about what Paul says there, he says, obey in everything. Uh, that is to characterize uh, the way that they relate to their mom and their dad. Uh, Paul says in everything, but he goes on to say, for this pleases the Lord. Children are to obey their parents in everything that is in conformity to the commands of God's word and what is therefore pleasing to the Lord. But when you stop and think about what Paul is saying here, children are to be marked by obedience. They're to be marked by uh, an understanding of the order that God has established for their own good. But it's also a reflection of what we see even in the life of Jesus. You remember in Luke's gospel, it tells us that when Jesus was a child, that he went to the temple and that his parents came to him uh, asking him where he had been. And then it tells us afterwards that Jesus submitted. He obeyed his, his parents and he went with them. That even though his parents weren't perfect, Jesus submitted to them. And then it goes on in Luke 2 to say, and Jesus increased in favor with God. That as Jesus submitted to his parents, as he obeyed his parents, he was honoring God. And God, his heavenly father, was taking pleasure in his righteousness. And so even if you're a young person and your obedience is not always recognized or even appreciated all the time, it is something that, is, uh, that delights the Lord. 
And Paul's wording here is uh, obey your parents or obey uh, in everything uh, uh, for this pleases the Lord. We could translate that as it is pleasing in the Lord. As it is done in the Lord, as it is done in faith. When we respond trusting in Christ's will in the situations we're at, when we yield to his instruction by faith, we can live knowing that God is pleased uh, with us. So here is uh, the responsibility given to children. They are to obey, recognizing God's order, recognizing uh, that uh, they can honor the Lord in faith as they submit to their parents. But there's also a directive given uh, to fathers. And you see that in verse 21. It says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. You'll notice here that it uses the word fathers in particular. Uh, that word uh, fathers, pater, uh, could be uh, translated to refer to fathers or mothers. Uh, but primarily, ordinarily, that is a word that refers uh, with the meaning of father. And when you look at uh, it in context, uh, that is why the translators choose the word fathers. Uh, in the previous verse, there in verse 20, remember, uh, Paul wrote, children, obey your parents. There was a word that Paul could use if he wanted to speak inclusively of all parents. But Paul changes his word when he comes to verse 21. And it seems to be intentional that he is doing that. That he is uh, focusing particularly uh, upon fathers. Although we could apply the principle or the application uh, 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 beyond fathers. It applies uh, primarily and principally uh, to fathers. Religious instruction is a joint responsibility of both parents in the home. Uh, but this verse highlights that fathers are not to abdicate their responsibility of providing guidance and direction in their children's understanding of God's truth. They're not to withdraw. They're not to, to, to uh, abdicate any sense of responsibility. Rather, fathers are to take the initiative. Fathers are to take the leadership on that role. It is their primary responsibility to ensure that their children are provided uh, with the instruction from God. There are other passages in the Bible that teach us about how uh, fathers and how parents in general are to uh, care for their children. Uh, this isn't the, uh, an all-encompassing description of uh, the role of parents. Uh, rather, you'll notice that what is said here is actually stated in the negative. Um, instead of saying what they are to do, Paul here centers in on a concern of what they're not to do, the danger of provoking their children. Uh, and that is a particular danger, we could say, uh, that can characterize the father's relationship with their children. To provoke uh, is the idea of stirring up a negative response or a negative attitude of the heart by the way one relates with their children. Uh, interestingly, uh, when the Old Testament was translated into the Greek, uh, this word was used in Deuteronomy to describe a rebellious son who would not obey the voice of his father or his mother. But how is it that parents come to provoke uh, a rebellious heart in their children? How is it that they, they provoke uh, their children? Many things could be said. Uh, 
uh, inconsistency uh, could be one. Uh, uh, an over rigid uh, standard, on the other hand. Uh, but it seems principally uh, the provoking of a child is going to come down to uh, a criticism, uh, a critical spirit where correction is given without love or where there is an absence of love as a result of no correction. Either it comes down to uh, a critical spirit that is nitpicking and finding flaws where there is constant uh, criticism and uh, pointing out problems and there's never or little affirmation uh, given towards the child, little expression of delight in the child, or there's a total withdrawal where the child feels neglected as a result. So fathers can be constantly pointing out the flaws in their children and they can begin to relate with their children as though their love and affirmation was something that the child has yet to earn by their good behavior. Uh, and this can be uh, propelled uh, even in reaction to some of the trends that they may see in other, uh, other households or other uh, uh, contexts. Sometimes Christians can be very reactionary. We can, we can see trends in our society and we can become uh, uh, reactionary to it. And we know that we live in a, a time and a day where the idea of discipline or the idea of correction uh, is not uh, popular. Uh, the, the idea of trying to uh, direct a child in a particular way is uh, maybe looked at with suspicion. And sometimes Christians can uh, almost lean heavily into the idea of, well, we're going to hold to the standard. We're going to hold uh, to correction. We're going to ensure that there is discipline. But we may neglect the idea that correction must be expressed in love. Uh, and there's a, a danger that can creep in even in homes and houses where there is a desire to do what is honoring to God. Uh, so we don't want to uh, react and to neglect that correction must be expressed in love. John Newton, uh, many of you know uh, John Newton, the preacher, the hymn writer, uh, the, the one who composed what we know as Amazing Grace. Uh, he once said, uh, I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. I know that my father loved me, but he did not seem to wish me to see it. Sadly, children can grow to resent their fathers and mothers when the correction that was given was given without love or when there was no correction. And so they assumed they were not loved. Fathers uh, can resort into a, a, a negotiation mindset as well. Uh, we talked before about how uh, this mindset can creep into a marriage. Husbands can say, I would love my wife if she would submit to me. And wives can say, I would submit if he was more loving. Uh, it becomes a, a contractual thing or the blame is squarely focused on the other individual. But that, that contractual um, mindset is simply focused on the problems of the other. Whereas they need to be living in light of the Lordship of Christ and understanding his will for how they act, not on the basis of how the other one ultimately is uh, always acting. 
But here, uh, fathers can resort into that same mindset. Fathers can become uh, uh, fixed on the problems or the concerns that they see in their children. Uh, uh, and fathers' attitudes can be, if they would just change, then I would. But fathers instead should not be uh, waiting for change. They should be the ones who set the context. They should be ones who initiate and those who seek to promote a certain context for their children in order to promote that change. We should be relating with our children not on the basis of their performance, but on the basis of our understanding of God's love in Christ and a desire to lovingly shepherd them in God's will. And so fathers have a significant role to play uh, beyond uh, simply putting food on the table, beyond simply taking them on vacations. Fathers have a significant role to play because they are called uh, to care for their children, to reflect something of the character of God, the Father. None of them will do it uh, perfectly, but they are called to highlight uh, something of God's care. And don't we see that even in our own culture, where we see so many uh, uh, families, so many uh, situations where fathers fall short, and people can become very uh, antagonistic towards the whole idea of a father. People can become very hostile to the whole idea of trusting in a father. Uh, because of their own experiences, they can be very scarred as a result. But Leland Riken, I think, helps us with that whole idea of thinking about fatherhood and its importance. He says, our very disgust with the failures of fathers stems from our intuitive understanding of what a true father should be, so that the negative character type inevitably brings with it, as a shadow entity, the positive. Our very disgust with the failures of fathers stems from our intuitive understanding of what a true father should be, so that the negative character type inevitably brings with it a shadow entity, the positive. What is he saying? He's saying that even when we look at the experiences that we've had and uh, when we look at how fathers have fallen short in, in different ways, Riken's point is, is that when we recoil at that, we say that's not what a father should be. And our very, our very hostility shows us that we actually expect the ideal that there is a notion of what a father should be. And that ultimately points us beyond any earthly father to the reality of the only one true father who is good. The only one true father who exemplifies everything that we expect of a father. And what do we expect of a father? We expect a, fa a father to provide for us. We expect of a father to have compassion on us. And we expect a father to correct us in love. Compassion, provision, discipline in love. And as we search the scriptures, this is how God is portrayed to us. As a father who pities his children, so God pities those who fear his name. That God uh, disciplines those whom he loves. That God is a God who provides for us, and he has shown that provision ultimately in sending the Lord Jesus to deliver us from our sins. 
And so fathers serve an important role because they are meant to reflect some aspect, some degree of the character of their heavenly father. That is to shape the way that they approach parenting. It's not just so that my kid likes me. It's not just so that we go on vacation. But at the end of the day, I am striving to show my child the care of God in terms of provision, correction, and compassion. I am trying to show them what God has shown me in Christ, that God is a God who is our heavenly father and who cares for us. When you consider the relationship even between the father and the Lord Jesus, we see that the father takes great delight in his son. He says, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. Many children grow up without their fathers today. Many others grow up with their fathers, but like John Newton, never hear their fathers say, I love you. Feeling rejected by one's father can be painful. Men will oftentimes cover their pain either in terms of anger or in terms of emotional withdrawal. But if there is to be healing in men's lives who have been crushed under the weight of not measuring up, it will only come when men and fathers are able to accept the word, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, applies not only to Christ, but to those men who are in Christ. They didn't earn God's favor. They have it in Christ, and now they live from that position. So Paul talks about a very ordinary reality, the home. He's talking about how a father relates with his children, not with withdrawal, not with a heavy hand, not simply to make sure that they are provided for in terms of their physical or in terms of their academic aspirations. Those things are true. But beyond that, they are providing them a context in which they are instructed in God's word. They're showing them compassion, recognizing that they too are sinners in need of God's grace, that they too are correcting them in love, recognizing that God in Christ loves us by not leaving us in our foolishness, but directs us in the way of everlasting life. This is what it means to be a father. Fathers are to care for their children and not to provoke them by either telling them there is no hope, they never measure up, or by withdrawing from them and not showing them love at all. Here, fathers are shown a better way as they reflect and mirror the care of God himself, a God who has shown compassion, a God who has provided for them, and a God who directs them in his love. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we think about uh, the family, as we think about the relationship between fathers and children uh, and between parents and their children, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, guard us uh, from division, that you would guard us from the tactics of the evil one. We recognize that there is uh, a clear intention uh, to pit uh, parents against children and to pit children against their parents. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to humble ourselves uh, under your care, uh, to be people who humble ourselves under your will, recognizing that those who are in Christ are to put off the old self and to put on the new. And we pray, Lord, that we would apply in a concrete way the way that we treat one another with grace. 
Go before us now, we pray, and take away our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, maybe we'll uh, uh, close and we'll just uh, stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you all, both now and forever. Amen.